So it is, well, happy Valentine's Day. Um, Valentine's Day February, to you. Thank you. February 14th, 2023. And um, I have the honor and privilege of having Lisa Parker um, on with me today. And real quick, we're both in Oregon. We connected via my other business, Oregon Valley Farm, and I had recently sent out an email uh, about cholesterol and how it's not a big, hairy, scary thing to be <laughs> afraid of. And um, I got a little bit of negative feedback, just a couple emails, and I was very happily surprised to get an email. At first, I was bracing myself because I saw her, you know, a nurse practitioner, and I was like, oh, here we go. But then it was very, very positive. And she was talking about how this is a message she really tries to send to her clients. And um, I am going to go ahead and let her introduce herself because she has so many wonderful credentials and experience and education. And take it away, Lisa. All right. Well, thank you for having me. And um, I'm currently a family nurse practitioner uh, practicing in uh, Ashland, Oregon. And I'm also an accredited medical um, metabolic health practitioner. Um, and I just recently uh, received that accreditation. And um, it's functional medicine that we do. And I am the uh, advanced diabetes specialist as well. So I see a lot of the diabetic patients and you know that's the number one risk factor for heart disease. Um, at least in America. Uh, and so uh, in my capacity, I'm having to do a lot of advanced cardiometabolic uh, laboratory work and interpretation and to try to advise clients on things that they can do to reduce their risk. So when I saw your email, I was like, oh, great. Somebody else that's, you know, getting out there and, and trying to bust the cholesterol myth. Um, this is, we were talking earlier before we got on about rabbit holes, and this is definitely one of those. Um, I was trained traditionally, um, in the model that, uh, LDL cholesterol being high causes heart disease. And if it's high in a patient, then we should reduce it with statin medication. Um, and you know, actually when I was trained, it was certain goals, like an LDL less than 70, um, is what we were looking at. And that was for primary prevention as well as secondary prevention. And, um, since going on my own journey uh, toward the low carb lifestyle, um, my own cholesterol went sky high. Um, and so then I was told by other providers that were seeing me, well, you need to be on a statin. And so I, I had to learn a lot of information about what really you know, causes heart disease. And what I see on a daily basis and through my own journey is that uh, LDL is not the bad guy. Um, I'm, Frequently, when I'm talking to my patients, I tell them, you know, LDL is the fireman at the fire. So you, you go to a fire, they're going to be firemen there. Firemen didn't cause the fire. They're there to put the fire out. And it's actually LDL, you know, LDL that's one of its jobs is to do that. So I, I guess what I try to do is educate my patients as to what cholesterol really does for two reasons. One, they need to know so that they're not afraid. Knowledge is definitely power. And number two, because their own providers who are going to be recommending that they go on a statin medication um, don't know what cholesterol does. So if the patient is armed and knows, and, and I tell them, well, when they want to put you on a statin, you know, we've done all that we've done, you know, ask them what cholesterol does, ask them what LDL does. And if they don't know, 
then you know that's not somebody that should be recommending to you that you go on a very powerful medication that has potentially a lot of side effects. Um, and that includes specialists as well, um, who should know better, but you know, it, it's very easy to write a prescription and have a five minute visit rather than to actually, you know, really look into someone's risk profile. Um, so yeah, so, you know, let's, let's learn what cholesterol is and, and what it does. So first thing I'm gonna tell you is cholesterol is absolutely essential to life. <laughs> if you do not have cholesterol, you do not exist, period. It is human life, but it is also all animal life, which is why if we eat animal foods, we do get cholesterol in. And we'll get to that and why that's not a problem. But um, so what does cholesterol do? Well, everybody kind of thinks that, you know, they know that it's a fatty substance. It's a waxy substance. Um, and why is that important? Well, cell membranes. So we are made up of cells point blank. We look like we look, but we're just, we're a conglomeration of cells and the integrity of the cell membrane. That's one of the jobs of cholesterol and fluidity to allow things in and out of the cells through the membrane is also a job of cholesterol. It is also the precursor for hormones. And people think when we think hormones, everybody thinks sex hormones, but we have lots of hormones and hormones are signaling messengers basically that tell the, you know, the body what to do. So we have sex hormones that everybody knows, estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. We also have the steroid hormones, cortisol and aldosterone, which are necessary for almost every life function that we have. And those, of course, you will not live without those as well. Um, we also, cholesterol is also the precursor to making bile acids so that we can digest fats. And why is that important? Well, obviously we need to be able to digest the fats, but also because of the fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. Without those, and D, sorry, without those, we will not have fat soluble vitamins, which are necessary for life. Vitamin D is one of the fat soluble vitamins, but it's really technically not a vitamin. It's a hormone. Uh, it's a messaging uh, uh, part of the system. And so vitamin D, you're not going to have vitamin D if you do not have bile acids to be able to, to digest it um, and to be able to make it from sun exposure. So what else? Uh, we talked about the cell membrane. We talked about that immune system. Oh, okay. Well, this is COVID times. <laughs> so immune system is very, very important. So lots of different functions. I won't go into, into all of them, but uh, bacterial cells preventing cancer, Stem cell mobilization, everybody like, oh, stem cells, those are good things. Yeah, they, they're very good. Um, and enhanced uh, both types of immunity, both B cell and T cell, but I won't get into the, all the complicated stuff. Your brain, your central nervous system, your brain is like 95% cholesterol. As a matter of fact, and we talked about this, one of the things that's interesting to me being out on this farm is all of these animals that hunt other animals, the first thing they do is eat the brain. And that's because the brain is just loaded with cholesterol and it's something that's very important to survival and they know that. So they go immediately for that. So without that, you will not have a healthy uh, brain that's functioning correctly. Um, also uh, part of the uh, neurotransmitters as well. And so we've had talked about that a little bit and emotional and psychological health and, and mental health as well. Um, and so 
as far as when we talk about some central nervous system issues that may be related to low cholesterol, since we're on a lot of us medications to lower cholesterol, we're talking about Alzheimer's disease, Huntington's disease, Parkinson's disease, and just overall cognitive deficits. So that's a lot for a substance to do, which is why it's pretty clear that the body knows that it's essential for life. Because it is essential for life, we can make, if we do not get any cholesterol, we can make the basic of what we need to survive. Um, however, and I've seen this in some of my vegan uh, patients, it's a very, very low, it's, it's like we talk about the RDA for vitamins, it's what will prevent you from having absolute illness versus thriving. And so, um, you know, I, I've seen a lot where people are not taking in cholesterol in their food um, and not taking in saturated fat and they're, they're ending up with lower cholesterol levels and they are having some complications from that, especially mood disorders. Um, so yeah, so those are all functions of cholesterol. Now, when we talk about the cholesterol, everybody knows LDL. LDL is the bad cholesterol. And I've gotten to the point now where when my patients, when I start talking about it and they're like, oh yeah, that's that bad cholesterol. They know it's not bad cholesterol. LDL does what it does because that's what it's supposed to do. When the system is functioning properly, LDL, even at very high concentrations, such as my own, um, is doing what it, it, it's not pathologic. It's absolutely essential. It's better brain function. It's better immune system function. It's better metabolic function. Um, so LDL, what does it do? Well, all of the cholesterol that you make and or your body converts from what you eat, which is essential for your, all of your functions, LDL carries that from the liver to where it's needed. That's its job. And as soon as it's needed, the liver's immediately contacting LDL and saying, all right, we're ready. It's like truck, basically, delivering a truckload of the cholesterol that's needed for whatever it's needed for. Um, in terms of thinking of heart disease, since that's kind of what we're talking about, you know, we know about all the other functions, but let's just keep it in the context of, of heart. Um, if there is inflammation within the blood vessels, one of the jobs of LDL is to bring its load to try to heal that. It's sort of like, I call it like a scab would be for a, for a, a brush, you know, for a uh, abrasion. Um, it needs to go there to heal it. So immediately it brings its load. And then as soon as the load and, and it's done its job, LDL is done doing its job. And as long as it takes its cargo and it drops it off, everything is fine. Um, then HDL will come in, the good cholesterol, and it'll pick up what's left. And there's a lot of steps from there involved, but that would get really, really complicated. So we'll just keep it simple and just say that then the job of HDL is to take what's left back to the liver for recircul you know, for uh, basically recycling. And as long as those two systems work together, everything's great. There, there's no heart disease. Um, what I want us folks to understand is that the inflammation is coming from metabolic disease. And that's a whole nother discussion for us to have, but that's what starts any kind of process for building plaque. Um, you have to have inflammation from metabolic disease. And when you do, 
If you have certain types of LDL, there are certain genetically um, really small sticky particles. Uh, and then of course, just the, the metabolic disease itself causes the type of LDL to be different, to be smaller and denser rather than large and fluffy. If that's the can get through the, through the uh, wall of the vessel and can cause uh, plaque to build up. But it's only in that situation that that would happen. Other than that, cholesterol does what it does, LDL does what it does, HDL does what it does, and everything works in harmony. And that's how an animal exists. Um, so I'm trying to think if I left anything off of that, but I think that's pretty much about the, the explanation for that. Um, what metabolic disease would cause a problem? Diabetes, you know, number one risk factor for heart disease is diabetes. And the reason for that is because of the metabolic disease, the inflammation that's caused by it, um, and it changing the type of LDL from a larger fluffy LDL to a smaller, denser LDL. So do you ever have a time where, um, because I know some people can have like familial cholesterol, like high cholesterol. Um, is there ever a time where you're like, actually yours is a little high? Yeah. And well, the thing is every, I, I think when people say my cholesterol is high, there's a lot of confusion because it's a lipid panel that's done. And so the components of the lipid panel would be the total cholesterol. The next would be the triglycerides. And we need to talk a little bit about them because that's mainly what you would see with metabolic disease being elevated. Um, there is the LDL, there is the HDL, and there is the VLDL, which most people don't know anything about, the very low density lipoprotein. Um, so when a person comes in and I look at that first screening test, um, I may see that the total cholesterol and the LDL are high or even very high. When you're talking about familial hypercholesteremia, you're talking about very high levels, maybe five, six, 700 total cholesterol and three, 400 LDL. I mean, we're, we're not talking about just that little bit of elevation that everybody gets concerned about. Um, if I see that and I see a very high HDL and I see very low triglycerides and low VLDL, this potentially is a person with a familial problem, not a metabolic problem. And then there is advanced cardiometabolic testing to be done. Um, and that will tell us about the number of particles, actual particles, um, the, um, whether they're small particles, whether they're large particles, it's, it's a, we call it a type A or a type B pattern. Um, and that will allow me to know, is this a pathologic thing or is this, just the person just tends to have high cholesterol. So let me just give you an example of, of somebody on a low carb diet who, if they had metabolic disease, they've reversed it. They've lost a lot of weight. They're very thin. They're very uh, athletic now. And they do a lipid panel and it comes in and their total and their LDL are very high, but the triglycerides are very, you know, low or you know, optimal. They're not I, I would never call them low because the less triglycerides you have in the bloodstream, the better. Um, and the HDL is very high and the VLDL is very low. 
I do the particle testing. And what I see is they have a type A, which is a non-pathologic pattern. It's the kind you want. It's the large fluffy particles. They have those and they don't have a lot of the small dense particles. And then I look at their inflammation markers. Um, there's something called a high sensitivity uh, C-reactive protein. I look at that and that's very low. Um, there's, I don't know how we want, if we want to get into depth on all of that, probably one uh, podcast on the whole advanced cardiometabolic profile would be better because then you yeah. really understand it more, but there's a lot more involved in it. But generally I see this, then I know that this is not a pathologic process, but I'm going past that lipid panel. Regular providers are not doing that. Even cardiologists are not doing that when they know about this, the, the advanced panels because as they're fond of saying, well, people don't understand this. There's a lot, it takes a lot of time to do education. And ultimately what the guidelines say I need to do is put them on a statin. So why do I really even need to look at the rest of all of this other stuff? Well, the reason is, because I told you that, you know, mine runs high, right? And especially after I did the low carb lifestyle, you know, resolved any metabolic disease that I had. And so, I do the profile or my provider does the, the advanced cardio metabolic profile on myself. And I am one of these people that just has high total and LDL and everything else is very metabolically healthy. Um, it's what's called a lean hyper responder. There's actually a lot of research going on about this right now. And it has to do with the fact that if you're eating a high fat diet and you're not eating a high carb diet, you need more LDL to carry the triglycerides, which are the, the, the form that the body can use the energy as fat, you need more of that because that's what you're living off of. So when we were talking about LDL is really just does what it's supposed to do in a person who responds in that kind of way to a high fat, low carb diet, LDL is doing what it's supposed to do. It's transporting energy for the person to use. And none of that is pathologic. And We'll have a whole nother episode probably on this, but the way that you know, and this is the way that I found out and was able to quiet providers who were like, oh my God, you need to be on a statin was we said, well, let's do something called a coronary calcium risk score. Um, it's a CT scan that you do that's looking for calcified plaque. So if somebody has high cholesterol and it's leading to plaque to form, then they, you know, if it's high, then we should see that. And Generally, it's about a five-year lag. And I'll just let you know that I've been living this low-carb lifestyle for about five years. And I did the test and I had absolutely zero calcified plaque. So if what we're saying is, you know, this high cholesterol is causing me a problem, then I should have some calcified plaque. What that means is the chance of me developing heart disease in the next 10 years, which is basically how we stratify risk to decide whether to put somebody on a statin is zero. Zero equals zero. Um, and I find this in other patients as well. So that is another tool that I use once I do a workup and, and we start talking about risk. Do you have any plaque already? So um, yeah, and, and that's another way. But you, if you don't get past the lipid panel, <laughs> you don't get there. You, you go straight to statin, you know, do, do, not, do not stop, do not collect 200, you know, it's just like monopoly, you know, you go straight to a medication um, and no one ever looks to see, do you need to be on that? Because quite frankly, 
postmenopausal women, of which I am one, tend to have high cholesterol. And is it pathologic or do all postmenopausal women need to be on a statin? And, and me, for me, it's a risk versus benefits analysis when I'm talking to a patient about whether or not they should be on a very powerful medication with a lot of side effects. And we, go, we, we do not leave a stone unturned, basically. We look at everything and I discuss with them risk. The other thing is if they do have, let's say a type B particle profile, because they're just starting on their metabolic journey and they have not reversed their, their metabolic dysfunction. Well, they need to know that too. And they need to know, you know, and, and I use it as a baseline to show them once they are going down that path and they've changed um, the way that they eat and they've changed their stress and now they're exercising and these numbers start to change. And that's what they can see. What can they change? What can't they change? What is genetics? What is environment? And, you know, and then make a decision. If they put their best foot forward, they should be able to see those numbers change and they should be able to see that they're going into a healthy uh, particle profile that's not going to lead them to heart disease. And I would imagine um, if somebody, I mean, it's kind of like with, uh, you know, I'm not going to say all medicine, but, you know, I think there's a time and a place. I'll just say that. But um, if you have a fire and you're just kind of like putting a bandaid over it, um, with like medication that's giving you other side effects. I can't even imagine what can possibly happen. So you have this dysfunctional metabolic thing going on, and then you put this medicine on top of it, which, you know, I've researched statins and there are some scary things. Um, I just feel like it's an explosion waiting to happen. Really? No, absolutely. And I, I think <laughs> this is the thing. So women, postmenopausal women tend to have higher cholesterol levels. We talked about that. Um, statins reduce the cholesterol levels, but has that been shown in the studies to help women reduce their risk for events and more importantly, from dying from cardiac events and women's health initiative. And you can look this study up. It's very everyone knows about the women's health initiative. And there were many things that, that were established with that study, but what it did show was if you lower cholesterol in women, either through diet and, or through a statin, it does not decrease the number of events. It doesn't decrease the mortality. And as a matter of fact, they die more from all cause mortality. So basically it established that statins don't work in women. And so now you have a lot of women who are on them. And of course you're having side effects. What's even more important than that is something called the lipid paradox. And this is another thing that can be looked up very easily, just Google lipid paradox. And that is patients who do have a cardiac event, if their total in LDL is lower, either because they tend to be that type of person who, who has less uh, cholesterol levels or because they were on a statin, they're going to die within 30 days. Wow. And it's, it's being really, really looked at because no one's kind of sure what's really going on with that and why it is. But to me, it makes perfect sense. If LDL is there to repair things, if you have a heart attack or a stroke, there's a lot of repair that needs to happen. And if LDL and total cholesterol is necessary for your immune system, and you've had a major cardiac event and you're in the hospital, what's in the hospital infections, 
you don't have the immune system to fight the infections that are potentially around you as well. So I, I don't think it's any mystery. And of course, research is being done on it. But to me, based on me knowing what LDL does, it makes perfect sense to me. If you're going to have a cardiac event, you don't want to have a low LDL. You want it to at least be enough that, that it can do its job. Addition to that, <laughs> a, I don't know the percentage, I'd have to look it up, but there are a great majority of patients who have quote normal or lower levels of total in LDL who are not on statins. They actually tend to have more heart disease, more events. So, you know, I'm not, there's enough that uh, providers have done. There's a really good one very recently by Timothy Noakes with the Nutrition Network who put on a, a three part series about all of this, including all of the research and the studies and about statins and everything, which anyone can log into the nutrition network and, and find that. He did a much better job than I ever could in, in a podcast. But suffice it to say that the research is out there that shows this and shows the minimal benefit of statins, if any, and usually it's just for secondary prevention, those who already have established heart disease. Um, and definitely that it doesn't, it doesn't work in women. That's where I first heard that from Chris Kresser. I don't know if you're familiar. He's one of my favorite. He, he was like big into paleo and that's when I first started going holistic and, um, he's, you know, a research nerd. And that's, I first heard of, um, how basically his stance is the only time he thinks it's really helpful maybe is after an event already, you know? Yeah, from what they, from what the research says, uh, shows the benefit actually would be the anti-inflammatory benefit of, there is that part of statins. Um, so, and again, we, you know, we need to have a whole discussion if we're going to start talking about all the different things about statins uh, yeah. on that, but that tends to be because the people, and if you think about it, if you've had an event, that's high inflammation. I mean, that's, that's something that the body is having to deal with. You, know, you have necrotic tissue. If, it, if it's heart, you know, you, if you have necrotic heart tissue that has to be dealt with. Um, if, if it's brain, then same thing there. So um, yeah, the anti-inflammatory effect would be the only thing, I, you know, basically that, that would help with it. Yeah. It is probably like trying to turn the Titanic around um, with certain, I'm sure, well, I mean, in your, since you're functional, I'm sure you do get some patients who are like already open to maybe this isn't right. Like the things that are already, you know, the, the kind of narrative with cholesterol, I'm, I, you, maybe you get like 50, 50, but how do you, if somebody is like scared, how do you know that? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, honestly, you would think in functional medicine that you would get the 50-50, but um, believe it or not, people still believe that, and I'm fond of saying this, and, and I get this look when I'm talking to a, to a patient about it. I'm like, you know, people think that, you know, you eat a stick of butter and it goes through and it comes out a stick of butter in your bloodstream. And basically like a pipe, hard fat builds around the edges of it, and then it clogs the pipe off. And nothing could be farther from the truth. And when I tell them that, you can tell if that's what they've been thinking. So, um, you know, we have to have lots of discussion and, and I have lots of visuals that I use and we do lots of testing so that I can actually educate them. 
on it, but the hardest sell are women. Really? Women who went through the fat makes you fat, uh, fat causes heart disease, fat causes cancer, fat, um, you know, is, is the enemy. And so those are usually the ones that are the hardest sell because they are, they, they bought it. They are afraid of fat and fat phobia. And, you know, there's no way that you can reverse metabolic disease without fat because fat is what we're supposed to be eating. (laughs) So, um, when we took it out, we increased carbohydrates because you have to put, you have to have something in its place. You can only eat so much protein. Everyone knows that. So, um, yeah, they're the hardest sell and they're really afraid of saturated fat, hard fats. Yeah. You still see it everywhere. I mean, you know, I just saw it like today looking some information up and, and it's funny because a lot of times I'm like, oh yeah, I absolutely agree with, you know, this functional practitioner of some sort. And then there's the saturated fat and I'm like, what are you (laughs) talking about? So 2021, uh, journal of American college of cardiology. I don't remember what the journal is, but it's the American college of cardiology. The title is saturated fat is no longer a nutrient of concern. It's a very good article. I use it with my patients all the time when they're the real hard sell. Um, and actually give it to them so that they can go talk to their cardiologist. You know, if they have a cardiologist involved as well, um, you know, and this is sort of like LDL. So what is saturated fat? Saturated fat is fat that has all of its bonds saturated. It's very stable. That's why it's solid at room temperature. Whereas a polyunsaturated fat a vegetable oil, let's take vegetable oil that's on the shelf is very unstable. So saturated fat, you know, you can keep butter and lard and bacon grease and all of that out and nothing happens to it. It doesn't go rancid because it's stable. Everything is bound up. If you leave vegetable oil out within a short period of time, it will be rancid and literally cause you to become physically ill. But also if you did take it in, then, you know, it could oxidize in the bloodstream, cause free radicals. I think most people are used to hearing free radicals, uh, which are, they know are not a good thing, you know? Um, So the fear though, is that stick of butter in the pipes. It really is. And as soon as you can break that and say, Hey, no, you know, guess what? That stuff cannot just float around in your water-based bloodstream. It's not like a pipe. And oh, and by the way, the heart disease starts in the vessel wall, not in the the opening in the artery. It's not where the blood flows. That's not where the problem starts. It's in the actual artery wall beneath that. Um, Once I can show them that and, and, and educate them, then I think they do understand but it's the women that give me the problem. The men, no. You're telling me I can eat bacon and a ribeye steak? I'm happy. The women, no, I cannot eat that fat. It's going to make me fat. Right. And, and I'm a drop dead of a heart attack. If I eat, you know, just two tablespoons of that butter, I'm going to have an event. Right. Oh, it used to horrify me. Like, uh-huh. you're, what are you putting on? Well, first of all, it was, I remember having dinner with some people a long time ago when I was in the low fat craze, you know, hardcore. And I'm, I'm thinking you're putting butter on your roll, which it should have been your, you're eating that roll. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and I remember also getting, um, 
I mean, now I don't really even eat nuts these days. I'm more on the carnivore side, but, um, because of how I notice they make my body feel, but it, I used to get this big bag of nuts and, um, dried fruit from Costco when my son was little and I was still doing the low fat thing. And I would, um, totally avoid the nuts Mm -hmm. and just eat the dried fruit, which had sugar on it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, and really, even if it didn't, was just such a high concentrated source of, of fructose. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's, and it is hard to like change that mentality. It's really, and, and when you talk about the pipe, I mean, in, in my head, it's like, well, yeah, you think of like a fat going down the drain. Well, that's not good, you know? And so that's where I think um, people have got stuck, you know, they definitely have. And like I said, when I talk to patients about it, you can see that look in their eye when you dispel that myth yeah. you know, and, and you give them the science of why that can't happen. Then you, you make some ground with that. Um, I, I think it's always thought that, especially in America that, you know, we're, we're too dumb to understand science which is why the science can be manipulated. And if you don't know not what numbers mean and statistics mean, then you, you can be totally buffaloed by, you know, statins this or saturated fat that. Um, but when you actually know what you're looking at and you know the science and you do go down that rabbit hole, then you, you realize, you know, wow, all this stuff that I was taught, let me tell you something. There was a moment when I was angry like really, really angry, like, you know, and I think we talked about this. So nurse practitioners, you know, we can do a lot of the things that physicians can do, especially in Oregon, we don't have to have a collaborator and, and things like that. So we, we're basically on our own practicing. Well, why can we do that? Well, because we're taught guidelines. Mm-hmm. And that's what all in, in America, what we're supposed to do is follow guidelines. But who put together the guidelines? And is it really, because ev- what I was taught was quote, evidence-based practice. And that's the guidelines are supposed to be evidence-based. And when you find out that some of them are not, it's, it, yeah, it can definitely, definitely, yeah, there's a, there's a transition. Now I'm on the other side of it and I'm like, you know what? Science should always be what we're going by. And if I know what LDL and HDL and, and cholesterol do, then, and I know that I'm keeping my inflammation low because I'm metabolically healthy, then I know I'm at the lowest risk for heart disease right. and, and the tests prove it, even though, you know, a lot of providers out there think that I'm about ready to drop down. <laughs> They're just waiting because, because my LDL is doing what it's supposed to do. It's, it's carrying those, those triglycerides for my body to use because that's my predominant fuel. It's fat and it feels good. Oh, well, and that's what I try to get my, my ladies to understand because, you know, menopause is not a good place to be. (laughs) Once you get in, you never get out. They, they don't know. Yeah. That's, that's one that comes as a shocker too. They just want to get through menopause. And I'm like, there is no through once you go in, that's it. You never come out like the hotel California. Um, I know, but when I say, okay, so, um, do you get hangry? Everybody knows hangry now, I think, you know, where you're so hungry that, you know, get away and let me eat. 
Um, you know, do you, your energy levels go up and down? Do you, does your mood go up and down? Do you have all these really wild swings? Start eating fat, especially saturated fat. And what you'll notice is very stable mood, very stable emotions, stable weight. I mean, there's just any, any of the aspects of life that especially menopause will really, really kick you about they all resolve, you know? Now, if you're eating fat and carbohydrates, that's different. So we need to clarify on that because that's, that's pretty much right now what is causing all the metabolic disease. Seed oils, basically your processed food, um, high fat and high carbohydrate at the same time. And when you have that going and the body is not able to process the fat because it has to process the carbohydrates, it, it's, physiologically, it has to use the carbohydrates for fuel, then that's where you're getting a lot of the obesity and the metabolic disease. And so, but when I tell them, Hey, you know, low carb, high fat, moderate protein, just try it out. Yeah. See how you feel. The majority of them just feel so much better. And, and they notice, you know, there's a period of adjustment. I'm sure you, you're, <laughs> you remember those <laughs> yeah. depending on how quick you try to adjust things there because your body bucks when it's been using carbohydrate for fuel yeah, and sugar addiction, which is a real thing. And then you try to switch and your body doesn't know how to, it's not a Prius. It, it doesn't know how to use two types of fuel. It only knows how to use one. There's a period of adjustment. So there's a lot of, of patients that go through that, but, you know, I, I give them a lot of inside tips on how to do that and, and making sure electrolytes are, are right. And oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, they do feel once they are able to do that, they do notice a major difference mm -hmm. in everything. So when you're talking about, um, like back to the pipe thing, one thing for me that has, um, and it's all things that you're saying is just, um, like I used to love these like CSI shows <laughs> <laughs> and you know how they get the, all the graphic stuff going where you see all the cells and, you know, um, I, I think of stuff like that sometimes and with cholesterol and just fat, um, I'm thinking of how, our tissues and our brain, like you were talking about, need all that. And I can just envision it all happening. Um, and so versus like, we, we're not, we don't have pipes. We don't have actual pipes. We have these tissues mm -hmm. and even, um, like I make tallow body butter, like, um, with our fat from Morgan Valley farm. And I tell people, because I have people all the time, like, oh my gosh, like I have this and now like it's gone. And, and I'm like, well, it's not magic. It's that it's more like our skin at a cellular level, you know? So same kind of thing, you know, it absorbs better and it does what it needs to do or what our body needs it to do. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, tissues are, you know, a mass of cells and really it's the cell that we're talking about. And so, you know, in the health of each individual cell and in order for cells to be healthy, there are two things that are required. There are essential fatty acids and there are proteins. We have absolutely no requirement for carbohydrate in the body, period. And I think people- Put that on a poster. I know, well, they need to understand that. And the reasoning for that is we know that we need a certain amount, the brain needs a certain amount of glucose 
And so that was interpreted as the body then needed to take that in as a carbohydrate, as the fuel source. But in fact, the liver can produce all of the sugar that you need. And that's the problem that we have right now with diabetes. The liver is producing way too much sugar. And so, um, you know, but those requirements for the proteins and the essential fatty acids are real. And so when we cut out fat, because a lot of people, there was still, well, we do have a need for a certain amount of fat, but they really bought that it was bad. And when they bought that it was bad, a lot of people went extremely low fat. And I mean, like not even getting the essential fatty acids that they needed. And I know. And so then you start having hormone issues, all the things we talked about that cholesterol does, you start having issues with all of those things. And um, there's even, uh, uh, I think it's, is it Terry Walls, the Walls Protocol? Um, yeah, yeah, multiple sclerosis. And that, that was one of the things that she talked about um, and that she was not getting enough fat. And she definitely thought that that had a lot to do with her developing the multiple sclerosis. So we, and, you know, look at all the things that blossomed in this low fat, right? So we had diabetes rates went through the roof, autoimmune disorders went through the roof, cancer went through the roof. We were supposed to be lowering the risk for heart disease. Well, we increased that too, because we made all these diabetics, um, you know, and fertility is like in the toilet. Yeah. There we go. Really- and, and you got to wonder all the things that I told you that cholesterol does at the mm-hmm. beginning of this, if you just think about it in those terms, you can see where us changing the way that we eat to that extent really messed us up mm-hmm. and we're not recovered yet because the fear is still there. Absolutely. But we're going to do it. Absolutely. I don't want, I know if anyone takes anything from this podcast, cholesterol is essential for life. LDL is not a bad guy. LDL can be perverted, you know, Hey, so can anybody, a good guy can be perverted, you know, by a gang or, or, you know, whatever, you know, crime out there. So LDL definitely can have a bad side, but LDL didn't come out is bad. Just like we talk about, you know, kids when they come into the world, something messes with LDL and can cause heart disease. And what is it? It's sugar. (laughs) So, you know, sugar corrupts the LDL. It causes the inflammation. It causes the metabolic dysfunction and that can turn LDL bad, but LDL is a good guy. It's there to do what it's supposed to do. And as long as everything, as long as you're metabolically healthy, cholesterol level doesn't matter. It, 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 um, you know, you start, if you're metabolically unhealthy, you may have plaques in there. When I do some of these coronary calcium risk score, we talk about, there are people with plaque, but these are people who have already been metabolically unhealthy for some time. And we're working on that. So we can actually do it in sequence. And in another so many years, um, we can repeat that to see if they're adding any new plaques. So um, you can actually use it for that purpose as well. But you know, if they're metabolically unhealthy and you get them healthy, so here's another one that everyone can look up and that's the Verda Health Studies. Um, Verda does basically what I do. Um, they, they were doing it before I was, so I'm not gonna say they followed me, um, but basically using the low carb you know, ketogenic diet to treat diabetes. And all of the studies have shown that every biomarker improves except one in some people. 
And that is usually LDL will go up. Some people it doesn't, but generally it goes up. And it's for the reason I said, you, know, you have this fat that needs to be transported. So you have to have more LDL. But every other biomarker improves. Amazing. Yeah, there's no, there's no way to, I mean, if, if you just wanted to say, oh, well, yeah, but it makes LDL go up. So I, I think everybody should go back to eating the standard American diet. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, not. So, um, yeah. And this is, they've been doing their studies. I think they have the third year studies out. So, um, yeah. And the majority of, I was gonna say the majority of the patients that I see, even if they're not coming to see me for diabetes, they're metabolically unhealthy. And this is Oregon come from the deep South where we know it's there, but I was really shocked to see how much metabolic dysfunction there is here because, you know, People in Oregon, they go out and they hike and, you know, they hunt and they do mushrooms and well, you know, they hunt mushrooms. I mean, sound like that, but, you know, they're, they're generally more, I think of them as more enlightened about health yeah. and certainly Ashland, Oregon. Yeah. And, and these, they'll come in and see me and I'm like, Oh, here's another one, you know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, and I'm, I really look, well, as we're talking, there's so many like, oh, and there's a show and there's a show. There's so many things I want to like rabbit holes. I want to go down. And one, um, is like not just sugar, but, but as you said, like, you know, the carbs breaking down into glucose with, you know, that's something that I don't think people well, especially when they're not in the low carb world, don't really understand. And with my groups, I've always taught people, okay, well, well, Fruit is like a dessert. We have to think of it as like a dessert, you know? And so you can think that you don't eat a lot of sugar and yet you're doing all the smoothies and all the things constantly and your body's going to feel that. I think the first thing that I think of with that is that the recommendations are for so many servings of fruits and vegetables. I don't know why, I guess it's alphabetical that they put fruit first. It should always have been vegetables and fruit not fruit and vegetables, but people think fruit is healthy and there is nothing in fruit that you can't get from a vegetable or from up some other source. And it's very concentrated in fructose, which is a whole nother show, but that's fructose is what drives the liver dysfunction that results in uh, metabolic syndrome and diabetes. And I'm not saying that fruit is causing that, but a lot of times because people think that fruit is healthier than everything else, they'll, and even diabetics will indulge in quite a bit of fruit and it'll, it'll really throw them off. And that's one of the things that when we're not making progress, I have to kind of weed out. And so, you know, how much fruit are you eating? Um, there's other things, including the fact that we've hybridized fruit so much to be so much sweeter than it ever was. That's another thing to have a lot more fructose, um, in it, but yeah. So how do you, how do you talk to a person about that? People pretty much, I think, know sugar. If, if it's a cupcake, they know they're not supposed to, you know, it, it's not a great food to eat, right? I think pretty much anyone knows that. Um, but look at the other sources of carbohydrates because there's quite a few. What I use is blood sugar testing, even in my non-diabetic patients and to see how their body is tolerating the food that they're eating, because it's a very individual thing. And so if, if they can tolerate this and I have you know, parameters for checking to know, then 
you know, okay, so, hey, yeah, you can tolerate this. Well, your metabolic health is to a point where you can tolerate this. For most people who are very metabolically unhealthy, a piece of fruit is, is going to send them, yeah, they, they'll, they'll see it and they'll know. Um, but I did have a patient very recently who's like, so you're telling me that fruit is unhealthy? And I'm like, that's not what I said. <laughs> but what we need to see is, is fruit healthy for you? Right. At this point in your journey, fat gets the horns and the tail and the pitchfork, you know, and um, carbs, nobody says anything about them. Oh, yeah. You know, because, <laughs> because everybody loves them. Yeah. They make you feel good. They increase your serotonin levels. Well, you know, temporarily until they drop mm-hmm. them to below baseline. But um, yeah, at, at this point, you know, it, it shouldn't be bad or good anymore. It should be, I need balance. I need to be metabolically healthy. And what I do with my patients is get them to metabolic health. And then once they're there, let's figure out what it is that your body needs and can tolerate to keep you metabolically healthy. It's a journey. You're going to, at different points, you're going to, to react differently to certain foods. What's going on with your gut health? You know, are you actually reacting to certain foods, not because of their carbohydrates, fat, or protein, but because there's something in them that your body can't handle. So there's a lot of different aspects. It's not just, you know, about, you know, carbohydrate restriction. Although when somebody's metabolically unhealthy, the thing that probably got them there is chronic excessive carbohydrates for them. And that's what I said. Basically, I have to get across to them because I have a lot of women who have been dieting all the time. Their metabolisms are wrecked. And, you know, they're like, well, I don't understand. How come I have to go so low on carbohydrates? And I'm like, because you've put your body basically through an amusement park. <laughs> and at your state right now, your body can't handle any of this. It, 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 needs, it needs fasting for sure. It needs it needs to do a lot of repair. That doesn't mean it's always going to be that way, but you have to get to a state of metabolic health. And then so that you don't go back to where, what got you there in the first place, um, you know, you have to figure out what's going to work with you. The good thing about that is, is after a while it's intuitive, you know, you're no longer eating because of a macronutrient or because it's time or because, well, I should have this fasting period or whatever. It's I'm hungry. I eat, I'm full. My body's happy. I have everything that I need. It's not telling me I need anything. I'm not having any cravings. My mood's good. My energy level's good. You know, that took me five years to get to that point. Yeah. I actually had an eating disorder and it was, you know, the restriction and then binging and then over-exercise like that whole craziness. And I know, I'm sure my hunger hormones were all whacked out. I'm sure I, I know my blood sugar was crazy, but then when I got pregnant, I craved protein. I craved fat and, and I was, I followed those cravings and I sugar actually, um, I want to say made me sick, but just kind of made me, uh, you know, which is unusual, (laughs) which was very unusual. And so I came out of that. Um, I would say like almost healed from that eating disorder. Um, I 
just never went back. And I, I feel like it's because I allowed my body to have what it needed and things balanced and there you go, you know? So I wasn't driven by the craziness anymore. Well, I think the, the craziness is, is the thing though. You know, we're talking about people who are eating out a lot, who are yeah. eating fast food, who a lot of things are, pro- I mean, just a lot of processed food. And then you talk about them eating the steak. And the first thing they think about is it's going to cause me to have a heart attack or cancer. Right. I saw something on one of those feeds on the Instagram, which is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trading in two of our days a week of red meat for fish, which I have no problem with fish, right? Right. You know, they're, they're both good as long as they're, you know, fish doesn't have a lot of mercury in it because that's, that's, is a major problem with, you know, our polluted everything. Um, but why do you think that, why do you think that you have to replace that red meat twice a week? When you, when you, I, when I talk to patients and they say, well, I eat healthy and they're coming to me and they're metabolically unhealthy. And they tell me, and I said, well, what is, what does that mean? What, you know, how are, it's always, this is what I hear. Well, I'm eating plenty of salad with grilled chicken on it and no dressing. Like, so what, what makes you think that that's healthy? Right. That's what the, everyone thinks that if I eat like that or here, the smoothies, that's another one. I keep seeing yeah. all that at the feed and I'm like, since when were we supposed to have blended food? We're not babies. Right. I mean, we should be wanting to eat chunks of food. You know what I mean? Like we shouldn't be like striving to want to drink our nutrition yeah. in my opinion, because that's what you do for people without teeth when they're old and uh, babies, you blend yeah. the food up. But if you ask somebody, well, what they think is healthy. And I say, you know what I think is healthy? A juicy, really well marbled ribeye steak with butter on top of it. <laughs> they're yes. like, who are you? What planet did you come from? And like, oh, and yeah. And my favorite part is the fat. <laughs> I chew the fat. And if I can swallow it, I do. If it's that kind of fat, you know, and it's like, and they're like, I, I don't believe that you're telling me this. Everybody knows that that's a heart attack waiting to happen. And I'm like, really? How many people do you know that eat just that or having heart attacks? not adding the buns and all the rest of the stuff that goes along with it and the French fries and all that, but just eating that. These are some of the healthiest people on the planet. There's actually tribes of people that that's what they eat and they're extremely healthy. I mean, so it's like, but it's it's what we were talking about. It's the fear. Yeah. That, you know, in, in a nutshell, fear of that. And that's just, that's a very natural food. That's a food that our bodies have been dealing with and eating for since we became human beings. I mean, you know, that's what actually a lot of the anthropologists tell us. That's what made us, us is that we started eating animals. And if you look and cause I'm out on a farm, right. And you look at the carnivores versus the herbivores and, and you see it, the carnivores are extremely intelligent and hunt and lean and, and then yeah. you look at the herbivores. Yeah. You look at the herbivores and well, you know, they just sit in there chewing, always having to be chewing, <laughs> always having to be eating. So I mean, like their life 
is nothing but chewing. Yeah. And how can they be smart about things and not get hunted when the carnivore eats what every two days or whatever, right? They kill something and they get so much fat that they're good for a while. And then they can hunt it and their brain is just like sharp and their vision sharp. It's like the, the herbivores don't have a chance. That's right. right. We can herd them and we can, you know, and slaughter them in big amounts. I mean, vegans aren't going to want to hear that, but you know, Hey, it's because they, you can't do that with carnivores. Try trapping a carnivore. I know because you know, well, we got chickens out here and they like chicken. Everybody <laughs> likes chicken. You know? And it's like, they are, they don't get trapped easily. Yeah. Well, and it's really back to the basics. I mean, just what you're saying, you know, and I, I think of like, um, how so often and I was this person, like you just like fall for all the buzzwords and things. And it's like on all the packages and you think you're being healthy, but when you go back to the basics, it's not the stuff in the boxes. It's not, you know, the highly processed or the green juices and, you know, things like that. That's so, not so interestingly, I was like, you know, is it really, um, our modern society or is it the actual foods we're eating? Right. Because we're both low carb people. So, you know, Hey, look at the Amish. And I said, you know, what are the rates of obesity in the Amish population? Do you know that the, the obesity rate is 4% in adults? And it's like ungodly. I don't know. I want to say 48%, 50%, maybe even 60% at this point in ours. Yeah. And they eat bread. They do yeah. They eat flour. They eat sugar. I mean, I have Amish cookbooks. So, I mean, I don't think that they like emphasize that. I mean, it's, it's kind of probably how it used to be a lot, um, you know, back with us in the, you know, fifties, forties and things like that. And fifties and forties weren't like they are today. We didn't have the obesity rates that we had, but, but look at what they do. And it's kind of what I do when I'm out here on the farm, before I came in for this podcast, we're, we're burning, you know, you only have certain times you can burn here in Southern Oregon. Otherwise you're going to catch everything on fire and there's snow on the ground. So I guess that, that means that we need to burn some things. So I was out there throwing things into a fire you know, just like really like just chunking logs in a fire, big, heavy ones and, and whatever I could find to try to, you know, because so, we have a certain amount of time to burn this stuff. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. So those stress levels that we're talking about that cause blood sugar levels to go up, they go out and burn it off. What they're eating, they're burning off. And so, and, you know, I, I think ultimately, when we're metabolically healthy, we can probably handle a whole lot more as far as carbohydrates go, but it really depends on the individual and how long they're metabolically healthy. And I definitely wouldn't recommend any kind of processed foods because if I can't make it, if I could, couldn't raise it, even if I, you know, some of the stuff I do buy, I haven't been able to raise because I can't do everything, but you know, if, if I can't do that, if I couldn't make, I don't eat it. Yeah. Period. You know, and I basically, I've been doing that for even before the low carb time, because I figured how good can something be for you? If a big, a big company has to make it, you know what I mean? And you don't, it's got like 20 ingredients in it. Some of them, you don't even know what they are. When you look them up, you're like, Oh my God, that's not food. I shouldn't be eating that because that's really not meant for human consumption. And so, you know, I've, I've been kind of doing that. And then low carb helped me, um, you know, I test the waters 
with a little bit more carbohydrate versus less. And I know where my balance is. I, I think everyone can get there and know, and it's going to be different at different points in your life because of physical activity levels and just the aging process in general. Um, but there's ways to determine that. Everyone thinks it's so mysterious. Like, you know, it's like, oh, how, you know, how do you lose weight? Well, you know, how are you going to lose weight if you have high insulin levels? Right. But it ain't going to happen. No. <laughs> so, you know, and then these women, they come in and they're like, man, what used to work for me doesn't work anymore. And I'm like, well, let's find out what's going on with you metabolically and see why it's not working for you anymore because you're at a different point in your life. And, and I can figure it out for them and we can see where the numbers are. And then we make some changes and good things happen, but they were fighting all along something that they didn't even know what was going on. Yeah. And that's hard. You know, I've had clients where they're a lot of clients where, um, their hormones are jacked and it's hard to, I mean, for one, it takes a minute. And for another thing, I'm always, you know, it's, I think it's hard, probably, especially as women, um, to let go of the control of, okay, if I just do the calories in calories out or whatever, if your hormones are all stressed out, it's not going to happen and you're going to make it worse. Absolutely. Um, and you know, that's one of the things, you know, it's functional medicine where I am. And so hormone balancing is part of it too. There's different pieces to the puzzle. I I'm always, my specialty is the metabolic. So that's where I usually go first, but sometimes there's things that have to be balanced out that have nothing to do with what, you know, what you're eating that do have to do with hormone balancing and stress reduction and, and, uh, physical activity. There's just so many different aspects of metabolic health and you got to start somewhere. And yeah. I'll start with, with metabolic health. And then, you know, we work on the rest of them. If I have to refer to somebody, I do. And, um, gut health, we touched on that a little bit. That's another one that, you know, if you think about it, does it really matter what you're eating? If you're, if you're not getting what you need to get out of it gut wise, yeah, you might as well be putting cardboard in because, well, you know, you don't have the right microbiome. How how are you going to get the things that you need to get out of it? If you don't have everything in place, if you don't have the right digestive enzymes, Right. So there's, you know, we will have a lot of discussions, but I guess the place to start is to realize, you know, Hey, am I metabolically healthy or not? And yeah. you know, just to bring this back to the cholesterol, cause we talked about LDL doing what it's supposed to do in a very mm-hmm. important role and why you don't want to have really low LDL, because really that's not what the human body was supposed to do. Um, you know, it's, it's so amazing the ability for the human body to repair itself. Yeah. Just given what it needs. Yeah. If it doesn't have what it needs, it impairs the ability or if it, in this instance, what we have in America, well, really it's all over, but I'm just going to stick with America right now because I can't, I don't know everyone else's statistics and I'll just, I know ours. Um, You know, we are starving amidst plenty. Yes. So when you look at a person who is obese and they have all of that fat stored, that fat was supposed to be stored for the time when they didn't have any, but because it's constant, they don't go through periods of fasting. There's, you know, there's no famine these days, right? It's, it's, it's all in overdrive. They have no access to that. 
It's right. I, I have patients who have hypoglycemia, which I will tell you is pre pre diabetes. That's what it is, right? These people secrete high insulin levels that causes them to store fat. So they started out, they, they weren't, they didn't have all the fat stores. They do now because they constantly run with high insulin levels. But what happens when you use the energy in the bloodstream and you still have high insulin levels? It's like giving yourself a shot of insulin. You know what happens to people that give themselves a shot of insulin? They, they go into hypoglycemia. They get low blood sugar, right? These are people who are obese with low blood sugar. How should that ever exist? Where you have all of that energy stored and your body literally can't get access to it and is dropping its blood sugar. That's pathologic. The human body would never have survived that. As a, as a species, we would never have survived that. This whole thing of, of fasting and feasting was how human beings survived. Because we could store fat for times when we didn't have food, there was no food around, it allowed us to survive. Now, because we are constantly in a state of being overfed, we're literally killing ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are, we're, we're trying to extinct our species is what we're doing. And as I'm fond of saying to some of my diabetics that come in, they're like, you know what? I said, they said, well, you know, after I ate my blood sugar did this. And I'm like, well, were you hungry when you ate? And they were like, no. And I said, well, why did you eat? Yeah. Why did you eat? Well, because, you know, I'll get low blood sugar if I don't eat. Well, you're not on any medicines that are going to lower your blood sugar and you're, well, you know, but you're supposed to eat, you know, breakfast is the most important meal or, you know, you hear all kinds of things. And then I look at them and I say, okay, here's your fasting blood sugar. You're starting out with 180 where normal is 60 to 100. What makes you think you need to add anything to that? If you're not hungry. Right. Your body's telling you it already has too much. So, you know, if you'll look at it from that standpoint and realize that fasting is going to bring that down. So if you're not hungry, don't eat. Let that sugar come down. Right. So I mean that, and I have to deal with that. And I have a lot of patience with that because, well, you know, that's what we do, right? Breakfast is the most important meal. We should eat three times a day or more. Actually now, you know, I love the one about grazing. We should be eating <laughs> every two hours, like a breastfed baby. Insulin all the time throughout Insulin the day. All the time, like 24 seven, because these people get up and eat in the middle of the night too. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're training themselves that they have to eat every two hours. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was that person. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Uh, and you get stuck. it's one of the hardest things to break because, you know, they're afraid. They are the people that go around carrying food all the time. Oh, and it is scary. I would get scared because my blood sugar would drop. Mm -hmm. And so I always had uh, some kind of bars in my purse always. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, when I start talking about that, you get that look too. I haven't, yeah. I haven't run across a, at least one person when I'm in a group and I start talking about the people that carry food with them all the time. And they're like, Hmm, she's talking about me. <laughs> yeah. Why am I doing that? <laughs> Maybe I need to look into something. Maybe that's not right. You know, but you know, we're encouraged all to snack. Everything's about snacking. So, oh. 
Yeah. And, you know, I hear that and I say, are you an adult or are you a kindergarten? <laughs> you know, but, or, or a toddler, you need to snack. Your little fish crackers. <laughs> uh, absolutely. You know, just let's all just keep snacking. That's what we're supposed to do as human beings. And it was never like that. You eat your good saturated fat and guess yep. what? Absolutely. You're hardly ever hungry mm-hmm. because your body has what it needs. It's and free. Yeah, it's very freeing. Absolutely. You know, to, to eat because you need nourishment and to not have to carry something with you all the time, no planning required. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we have so much to talk about. I'm really excited. I guess too. Thanks so much for joining Lisa Parker and I for our talk on cholesterol. I'm really excited to collaborate with somebody like her who has so much extensive knowledge and experience and can really go down all these rabbit holes with me. You will be seeing a lot more of her. I'm planning to at least be doing one podcast per month with her. We have so many things that we want to dive into and talk about. If you have anything that you're curious about and you'd like to have us talk about, then please um, email me at jess at healthwithjess.com or you can comment wherever you're seeing this. So Lisa is very busy with clients, but she is starting up a social media presence. You can find her on Instagram at Metabolic Journeys. She just started this new account, so go check her out. You can find me at thatvibrantlife.com, Facebook, That Vibrant Life, Instagram, that underscore vibrant life. Bye guys. Thank you.